Welcome to Living Orthodoxy, an invitation to a deeper life in Christ, a podcast of St. Philip Orthodox Church in Souderton, Pennsylvania, dedicated to connecting the liturgical and spiritual life of the Orthodox parish with the life of the Orthodox home, presenting the weekly homilies of our parish pastors, Father Noah Buscelli and Father James Thayer, as well as discussions of the liturgical year and Orthodox life and practice by Justin Gold and Jeff Hyatt. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm not much for the, uh, all the niceties of orthodoxy. My name is Father Justin Havens. I'm the priest of Saints Peter and Paul Orthodox Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. There are Orthodox Christians even in Utah. So, in fact, many, glory to God, and um, many more every day, as you see here as well. I'm honored to come and be with Father Noah and Father James in your community this weekend, and, and I love this, this Sunday. This is one of the Sunday, many times in the church year, called the Sunday of the Holy Fathers. And there's a number of times throughout the year we hear about these Holy Fathers. And I remember when I first became Orthodox about 20 years ago, I just said, that priest says Holy Fathers so much, I'm going to freak out. Who are these people? You know, at first I heard it and I thought, isn't the Holy Father the Pope? Or, you know, who are these Holy Fathers? But they were, the priest who baptized me spoke about them all the time. And of course, as a person who was Protestant before, I said, you speak about them almost as much as you speak about the gospel. And that kind of troubled me initially. But then once I kind of absorbed and started to swim in the waters of the church, I realized that essentially they are the same thing. They are the same thing. The Holy Fathers are the continuation of the gospel. You know, as Orthodox Christians, we stand on the shoulders of giants. We're not forced to wing it and be alone in a world of interpreting things on our own, which we still struggle with anyway, right, in our pride and our arrogance. But rather, in this faithful handing down, the apostles, we trust them. Your apostle, Philip, our apostles, Peter and Paul of our church, we trust them somehow. They're steadfast. We trust the scriptures. But then who, are the, who came after them? You know, who were the next Holy Fathers? And the fathers after them, it were these fathers that we celebrate on these feast days. So I used to go from seeing this icon, this is an icon of all the bishops, yes, and being kind of like, what is that? It's a whole bunch of bishops I don't know about, to kissing this icon with a lot of love. And here's why. Because of their steadfastness, because of their unwillingness to do anything to sacrifice the church in any way, they would give their lives. Many holy fathers had their hands cut off, their eyes plucked out, because they would not change the medicine of the church that here, 2018, we can still have it. It's like, imagine your child is sick. I have eight children, and, um, and they're always sick, it feels like, and one of us is always sick. And, you know, you want the antibiotic, you want it to be strong, if necessary, and to take care of their illness. But if it were to be watered down, you wouldn't stand for it. And you wouldn't mind offending people, in fact, a little bit. Do you mind if water it down a little bit? No. It's my child's life at stake, so no way. So we're not afraid to be kind of upfront in that way. But isn't it funny that somehow when it comes to faith, we're very willing to compromise. We're really willing to bend and say, ah, oh, it doesn't really matter. Holy Fathers didn't do this. And because they didn't do it, even to the point of blood, given their lives, our, we have this, and our kids and our grandkids have the faith, the spiritual hospital, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. That's a really precious thing. 
which I think we often don't think about, perhaps take for granted. So when you kiss this icon today, these holy fathers, thank them. Ask their prayers that you can be strong. Because if there was heresy then, we live in a world of heresy. Now, I live in a world of heresy. It's called Mormonville, right, in, in, in Utah. Every single one of their heresies are false beliefs. None of them are new. All the holy fathers dealt with them. You know, we celebrate all the fathers. This, this, this council this week celebrates the fourth ecumenical council in Chalcedon. It's, I'm not going to get into it all, but simply say that there was a misunderstanding of who Christ was, fully God and fully man. His divinity didn't swallow up in any way or diminish his humanity. They were both, you know, they were both full, undivided, and yet together. So what's the biggest part of that? When I first became Orthodox, I went, holy council, this, holy, I have no idea what that means. Here's the, one old monk helped me. He said, do you understand this? I said, no. He says, just understand this. The whole church believed this. And some others were proud and didn't believe it. Who do you go with? You go with the church. When I first became Orthodox, I was always challenging the priest. Like, what about this? I'm going to get you. What about that? I'm going to get you. And, and he always got me. And it wasn't him that got me. It was the faith. He didn't have to make it up or be smart or be... He just... He lived the life of the church. And so for my simple brain, it's often enough to say, whenever I butt up against something in the church and say, well, I think this, the church thinks this, now I always think, okay, where am I going wrong? Because, you know, does 40 years pea brain or 2,000 years of life known better? I recommend the same attitude because it keeps you humble and it keeps you able to grow in this way. So in the ecumenical council, some heretics, what's that word mean, heretics? Who are they? People who simply taught the wrong things about Jesus. Well, what's the big deal, Father? Come on. I believe this. We, we, we believe in Jesus, all of us. It's a world of difference. Because Christ often asks, who do, you, who do men say that I am? Who do you think that I am? And of course, Peter's, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. It matters whether he's just buddy Jesus, or our friend Jesus, or our teacher, or the God-man, fully God and fully man. Because if he's not fully God, what he did on the cross is very nice. But lots of people have done nice things in the history of the world, and they're dead. But because he's God, he rose from the dead and actually changed the nature of man. But what if he's just God and not man? That's another heresy. Well, then what he did was amazing, but how does it fix human beings? But because he was the perfect meeting place, the cross is the, of humanity and divinity, the God-man was able to totally transform human nature. So that me, sinful, Father Just, all of us in this hospital of the church can be healed. And it's these holy fathers who stood on the shoulders, apostles, the holy fathers of Cappadocia, all the holy bishops, 1,000, 2,000 years, these holy fathers. We have modern holy fathers. By the way, we still have holy fathers and holy elders and holy bishops who keep the ship going straight so that us, so we can, we can find our way to the kingdom of heaven is really the idea. So this is all nice. Wow, that's so beautiful. They're amazing. But it means nothing if we don't actually have our focus on the kingdom of God. They can help us to paradise. Well, do you want to go to paradise? I think we all say, yeah, I do. I want to go to paradise. As, as one old priest says, well, you need to, vote, need to vote with your feet. We say, yes, God, I want to be in paradise. I want to be a saint. But then look at our life most of the time. Look, I look at my own life half the time. I, I want to be a holy priest. I want to love my children. I want to love my faithful. And I still mess it up. Why is that? 
St. Paul says, you know, the things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I'm drawn. Because it's, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, dynamic struggle. So the fathers maintain this holy church. The church is a hospital. But it's no good, as one priest said to me. He said, if the hospital, the church is a hospital, most of us are like out in the waiting room reading magazines. Because we're scared. I think we're afraid of what holiness would look like sometimes. Am I going to be a weirdo? Am I going to be, I mean, I already look like a weirdo anyway, so who cares? Might as well go for it. But, um, but really, I think we have a fear of, or this, we're always in this dance to be, I think if you're here, you want Christ. And you want to be humble and you want to be healed. And yet, let's not lie, we know this other part of us that really wants to have our cake and eat it too and be worldly and be successful and be, people think we're good looking and we're sharply dressed and you know, we're good speakers or good priests. So we all struggle with this. So we're trying to be really happy in a worldly way and also really spiritual. Eh, eh, doesn't work, right? And we do poorly generally at both. So the Holy Fathers would say, go all in in your life in the church. And the Lord says, seek first his kingdom, everything else will be added to you. So it's not automatic. It's not like we get baptized or chrismated and then, wow, we're like with the Holy Fathers now. Wouldn't that be nice, right? And don't you notice sometimes after you're baptized, you're like, woo, this is so great. And all of a sudden, it's called like the post-Pascal low. Like, I don't know. It happens to everybody, you know, in your spiritual life. And you realize, gosh, this is hard. This is work. Yes, we have the grace of God. I mean, St. Seraphim, who's on your wall over there, he said the purpose of life is the acquisition of the Holy Spirit. I already got it. I was just chrismated last week. We're good. No. A seed is planted in holy baptism and chrismation. And it's up to, up to us to water it. And we have this beautiful garden of the church and this community here you're given by God to water this seed. How does it happen? Again, it's no good if we're in the, out in the waiting room, you know, reading magazines. We've got to go in to the hospital. We've got to go to the doc and say, hey, I'm really sick. Well, let me see it. Well, I don't want to show it to you, actually. Get naked. Take your clothes off. No, I don't want to. But if you don't do it, it's like the doctor says, I can't do much for you, right? Generic. I can just give you generic. That's how we priests often feel, by the way. The degree to which you hide yourself is the degree to which you will hinder your healing. So if you wonder why the priest is just giving me general instruction, he's not going deep with me, because you're not letting him. You don't want him. Priests don't force their way into your life. And it takes humility and fear to come in to the doctor, the great doctors, Christ's, Christ and the priests are just his assistants, so to speak. You come in, you disrobe and you lay on the table and you go, I've got cancer and it's really bad. And you're embarrassed. And that's what we do. We come in and say, I've, I'm very proud. I'm very lustful. I'm very judgmental. I struggle. I'm really, you know, we all, all of us have terrible illness. But then Christ says, great. Now the healing begins. Doctor says, okay, this is pretty disgusting, right? We might, might have to do some surgery and surgery is painful. But this is the beginning of the re- first day of the rest of your life. You've heard that? First day of the beginning of the rest of your life, healing begins, which can be painful. We should live the same way. Come to your priests. The number one way to walk in the hospital is confession. I'm a firm believer in frequent confession. And on my parish, many do, some don't. And there's an exact correlation between those who are healed and those who are really rotting in their sickness. Right? Christ knocks, the priests knock, open that door. And when you come in through confession, and then Holy Communion, of course, which we're going to receive today, healing, repentance, fasting, prayer, you don't have to go make it up. 
You know, when I was a kid looking for the church, I went to Barnes & Noble in the self-help section. You know, we don't have to do that. You're so blessed to have the church. Just live the life of the church. We have to live it in every way, though. We can't pick and choose and say, oh, I like this, I like that. And the painful ways matter, too. What I want to end by talking about is a really important area of the way the fathers lived. You know, we all rejoice in birth, don't we? When a baby's born, I have eight kids, father has more. It's, uh, it's a great joy. We have, I think we have 75 kids under the age of five right now at our parish. It's Ramparu, right? It's, uh, this is like Hezekiah quiet here. Um, it's uh, really, to give you perspective. Um, but it's a joyful noise. But we all rejoice over that. And yet, death is not the same for us, right? We don't really talk about it, or we ignore it, or we have warped approaches to it. And if we're going to live fully the life of the Holy Fathers, as we said, let's live life how they lived it. They rejoiced at birth. They rejoiced in this life. They rejoiced in holy families. They prayed, fasted, confessed. So we're going to raise children. We're going to bring them to the church. We're going to baptize them. We're going to pray ourselves, confess. We're going to live this life together. But it can't stop there. It has to continue into the kingdom. Many people are happy to do those things so far. But to die like the Holy Fathers, no one wants to talk about that. That's actually why I'm here at the conference this next week speaking about this, a Christian ending to life to all the priests and the bishops. And the reason I was chosen was because our parish, I've heard your parish is doing the same, is my understanding, having a a burial ministry. And there's different names for it. I don't know the name for it here. But we have a myrrh-bearing women and a Joseph of Arimathea group who prepares the bodies. Not just the bodies, prepares that person, prepares the family. It's, it's a holy, holy time, death. Most of us have really warped understandings of death. We're afraid. I said something the other day, I said, I'm talking about preparing for death. And they go, oh, that's impossible. You can't prepare for it. Don't even talk about it. Don't talk about it. Total superstition. That's the worst thing you can do. We don't say, oh, my sins. Don't talk about it. No, we better talk about it. And go to confession or it's going to kill you. It's the same. You know, it was Plato who said, all of life is a preparation for death. It's very Christian in some understanding. And St. Paisio says we have to love to live and love to die. I think we lack this this part, and and it's very important. So I'm excited to hear you have this ministry. And I'll give you, not everyone uses it in our church, I'll be honest, some use, but we use funeral homes. We never do embalming anymore. We never, we involve the parish in in, in the process. And it's night and day. Some people die, no one in the family is, is ready for it, no one's praying, no one's confessing, it's, everyone's avoiding, 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 and they pass away, and it's a mess. We see it all the time as a priest. I recently had a friend, not Orthodox, the mom had a bunch of kids, and she was dying of bone cancer, and she could barely move. The whole family in denial. They wouldn't let her finish her treatment because you're going to make it to this kid's birthday. And I said, you're not going to make it, darling. You're not going to make it. So just, it's okay. Just, let's get you ready. Family wouldn't listen to it, wouldn't hear her anything. The day before the birthday, she fell and broke all of her bones. Or two days before, and then she passed away before the birthday. And they were all so disappointed. God's ways are not our ways. Why didn't they get this poor girl ready? She was amazing, by the way. She was ready anyway. Why did they get, why were they living in denial? Because that's what we're taught in this fallen world. As a difference to that, I'll tell you the death of my mother. Pray for her, please, Maria. Next Friday is her one year for passing away, my dear mother. 
The day after I was made a priest, 10 years ago, she was my first baptism, my own mother. It's very beautiful. She was a holy lady. She was a sinner too. <laughs> um, a New Yorker who would always say, come here, put your head in here, come here. Um, but a very, she moved with us into Utah from New York and lived with us and she's an example of a healed person. Very many flaws as a kid I grew up and saw and healed by the church and confession and prayer. You know, she never, you know what I never once heard her say? Why does the church say this? She always said, I'm so happy to have the church to trust. What amazing. And she had cancer years ago and it came back and we tried fighting it, it didn't work. She's 59. And she said, you know what? I am gonna be ready. And so her spiritual father came often and uh, did confession with her. And she said, I wanna do it the old school style. Don't put me, she said, forgive me. Don't you leave me in that nursing home, in that funeral home. Don't you leave me there. She says, I took care of your whole life. Don't blow this for me. <laughs> That's my mom, <laughs> you know. Um, and I know I'm preaching longer than your normal priest, forgive me. Um, she said, don't leave me. I said, I won't. So I built a coffin with my own hands, my parishioners. She saw it ahead of time. She liked it. We weren't afraid. We were talking about it. She was ready. She was confessing all the time. She was going to church when she could, but her communion after a while. Our conversations would be like this. She'd say to me, what do you think paradise is going to be like? I can't, her Maria, she's like, I just, I can't wait to meet the Panagia. You know, what, what do I say? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, just kiss her feet. I mean, this is a, such a beautiful, because as a priest, you're not often having this conversation with people that are dying. They're in denial because they're not prepared and they weren't willing to look at it. And the family's a mess and they're a mess. We were so far from a mess. It was like Pascha the whole time, the whole time. And as things got closer, she, uh, her spiritual father came for a few days and she confessed everything, leave nothing. He left and said, wow, 40 years of priest, I don't think I've seen someone more prepared. My kids were with her all the time. We were reading spiritual reading. She liked the Rachmaninoff Vespers. You know, we'd listen to it all. And she was so ready and so beautiful. I had some non-Orthodox family come visit at this time. My aunt and my other sister who's not Orthodox. And they slept, we all slept in the same room. My mom, me, my aunt, and my sister. And you know what happened? Laughing. <clears throat> they were always laughing. You know why? They were afraid. And they had no idea how to deal with it. My mom at one point said, shh, this is a joyful time. Let's smile, but no laughing. And they were playing like kind of stupid music. She's like, I don't want to hear that. I want the vespers on. I want to talk about beautiful things. She was amazing at the end. The last three days of her life, 400 people came and said goodbye to her. 400. She was miserable. She did not want to, she was in pain. Everyone from the parish came to see her. She affected so many lives. She was the first person you'd meet at the church, by the way, at the back of the doors. And uh, people came and goodbye to her, and it was amazing. She had a word, she had a word for each person. She wasn't like that, she wasn't the kind of person, let me give you a word for life. No, she wasn't, but she somehow did. A lot of wisdom at the end. And then, it was July 19th, the eve of St. St. Elias, I came downstairs the day before her death and I said, how you doing, Ma? She goes, I'm still here. She said, what's going on? And I said, don't worry, it's going to happen. It's guaranteed. Um, and then that day she remembered, she said, call, please call Father Gregor, spiritual father, and, uh, and close the door. And she talked to him and she took the phone and Father Gregor was in tears and said, she, she forgot something she wanted to confess from her childhood early, and I think she's ready now. 
So here's a person who was in the process, who had already been doing it, but digging brings more digging and brings more beauty, preparation. He said, now it'll happen. And then the next day, my whole family there, my whole, all my children, my, my parishioners, all there. And they said she was in a coma. She fell into a coma. All of a sudden, I have my epithelion on. Her eyes shoot open. And the nurse says, this shouldn't be happening. If I wasn't orthodox, I would have been mad. <laughs> her eyes shot open, and she searched the whole room with her eyes. And then she locked on me. I'll never forget it for as long as I live. In fact, it's the same look my wife gives me when she's in transition with the baby. I'm serious. The same exact look of, oh boy, here we go. She wasn't scared, she wasn't like terror, but it wasn't just like happy, slappy, everything's... No, it was a very, I'll never forget the look. She penetrated me and she grabbed my hand and she gave me this look of, and I know her, here we go, boy. You better not, we're finishing this. I said the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy me out loud. And she was right there with me and then I could see the second her soul left her body. It was the most profound, powerful thing ever. And the second she passed, her body looked 20 years younger. I have pictures I could show you. She went from suffering and anguish to beautiful. I have pictures, just absolutely beautiful. All the ladies in the church came, dun, 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 right then. And we had all the essential oils ready. And my, my daughters and everyone prepared her body. It was so easy. It was so beautiful. We were right there with her. It felt like Pascha was raining in the room. Anointed her body. My boys read the Psalms. We anointed her body. We did everything. We kept her there. People came all day. We had 200 people at our house at an all-night party at our house. People read the Psalms all night. That morning, we put dry ice, super easy. Put her in the coffin, put her in the back of the truck, took her to church, did the funeral, then took her in the truck and drove 25 hours to the monastery, and I put her in the ground with my hands. Nothing but peace in our family. I have no sadness. I really have zero sadness. Yeah, I don't wish she was here, but no, I don't. She had a beautiful, beautiful death. And she told me, cancer was the greatest gift God ever gave me. She's like, I'm ready. I have nothing more to do in this life. I, loved, I love to live, but I'm looking forward to being with Christ. So forgive me for saying so much. That's the life of the Holy Fathers. That's the life all these saints on the walls lived. So we're going to do it in life together here in this community. You're going to do it. But I'm so thankful that you're going to have this ministry. You don't know how precious it is. It keeps, you know that feeling when someone dies? close to you, how do you feel? Somehow for a second, the veil between this world and the next, it gets thin. You know what I mean? It gets thin for a second. But what happens? Pretty quickly the world and your job and stuff comes back in and phoom, back to worldly self. What happens in a community, people are constantly being born and dying, is that veil stays thin and raw. And you're always thinking about your death, but you're not afraid. You love to live but you actually look forward to being with Christ. You're not afraid of leaving your children. I'm not afraid of leaving my children. I'm going to leave them to beautiful people. And I trust in the mercy of God. This is a freeing life, brothers and sisters. It's the life of the Holy Fathers. As Patriarch Pavla, blessed memory, said, when a baby's born, usually what happens? Everyone rejoices. Right? Everyone rejoices, and he's crying. He says, when we die, it should be opposite. We're smiling, rejoicing, right? And they're all crying because a great person has left this world. And that's my prayer for all of you, for myself, for this community that can help usher people into life, but also help usher them into life eternal. May the Lord help us to live a complete life of the Holy Fathers. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Forgive me.